It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome to Talent Talk. We are excited to have you back and to be talking with two fantastic people. So it's almost Halloween, which means it is our treat to be bringing you these amazing people to have a conversation, to talk about what they're thinking about, how they're managing people, what amazing things they're doing that we might learn from, what books they might be reading. Um, really, this is the the evolution of me just grabbing smart people at a conference and having a conversation with them to a larger, hey, let's put this on the air. Let's actually have this conversation in front of everybody so that more than just myself can learn from these people. Um, but we can get the word out. We can help them um, with spreading their message to, to the audience at large. So uh, love for you to make sure you interact with them, follow them, connect with them on LinkedIn, whatever it may be. Don't forget, we are broadcasting this not only live on the radio, but also doing it live on right now on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So if you follow me in any of those places, you can find this, the video version of that, interact, interact with us on LinkedIn or Twitter there. And, um, you know, the reason we do this is we get so many great stories and the stories really help us uh, learn. Um, I've been really fortunate enough to be able to put them into two different books. My first book, The Power of Company Culture, which was a bestseller back in 2018, and Remote Work, which was a bestseller this year on Amazon. Uh, love to have you check those out. Let me know what you think. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about some more uh, other books uh, as we move through with our guests today. Now, we are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Don't forget to interact with us on LinkedIn and Twitter right now. We love to uh, hear what you have to think, hear your suggestions, have you agree, disagree, give us your thoughts, whatever it may be, uh, to keep that conversation going. But you just need to follow at PeopleG2 on Twitter uh, or follow me at, at Chris P. Dyer uh, on Twitter and Chris P. Dyer 7, I believe, on, on LinkedIn. So wherever you want to go is fine. But let's talk about who my guests are. Enough about me uh, and uh, us getting the, the message out. My guests today include Brittany Cole. She's the vice president of the Ken Blanchard Companies uh, and co-founder of Bolster Leadership. And then we'll bring in uh, Simon uh, Manwaring, founder and CEO of We First. And he'll let me know if I said his name correctly or not. But let's go ahead and get started. Let's bring in my first guest, Brittany Cole, VP of the Ken Blanchard Companies and co-founder of Bolster Leadership. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I know you're in soon-to-be chilly Minnesota, uh, and uh, but why don't you tell everyone uh, you know, a little bit more about you? What's important for us to know about your career, about what you're focused on, what you're passionate about, so we can kick this off today? 
Yeah, you bet. Well, first, the weather is not, it's not snowing yet, so we're, we're just bracing for the, the cold weather here up north. But aside from, aside from that, I think I, I guess I probably explained myself in a way where I'm a wife, a mother, a good friend, and I get to work on really fun stuff every day. I often tell my colleagues and my team that we have a bit of a fantasy job working every day in leadership development and talking about things like trust and what it means to have a, a really amazing conversation with somebody. And at the end of that conversation, having really clear next steps and actions and goals and be able to help people do that every day. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I have sort of a multi, multi hats. And so my, my day job is uh, vice president of innovation at the Ken Blanchard companies and how I describe that is really uh, sort of a tiered stool. So, you know, one leg, I get to work with our amazing customers and define what the future of develop, uh, leadership development looks like for them. And I've been there just over two years. And in fact, I remember standing on stage in January of 2020, right, the, the heels of COVID showing our digital transformation. Um, and about a month later, looking at our organization virtually saying, can we execute this transformation today? And what it, what it meant from having an organization go from what was 90% face-to-face training delivery and in-person keynotes and, and consulting to a hybrid digital virtual world. And uh, alongside that, I um, am the co-founder of Bolster Leadership, which actually is uh, in the slow tech movement. It's a card game business where you use tactile products to build personal and leadership capabilities where you can build your capability of how to give and get grace from others, which is probably my favorite product. We can talk about more on that later, but really balancing those two with having three kids and all the sports hockey, of course, yeah. because I live in Minnesota. So, you know, I'm, you know, a lot of times when our parents or adults, uh, teachers come and ask us, you know, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't imagine a lot of kids say, I'm going to grow up and work in corporate learning and leadership development, right? This is not in our radar. And I know you have a background in engineering. So how did you end up here? Like, what does that look like? Isn't that the truth? No, maybe my daughter who sees me <laughs> talking every day, she's like, I'm going to go be a coach for Blanchard. Um, but no, my, my background is in engineering. And in fact, it's, it's sales. So my first job out of college, I worked as an engineer for a chemical company. And I say to this day that that first job in sales where I had to go knock on doors, w- build relationships and commonality with people who were twice my age in heavy industry environments where I had no, no experience that has allowed me today to build this consulting background. Cause you're working with people from a variety of different walks of life and industries and jobs and the ability to find a way to connect no matter who you are or where you come from. And so when I was in that first job, I didn't so love uh, selling chemicals, but I loved the training side. I loved having our customers take our products and make the most of them. And so when I got my advanced degree, I went to San Diego State and uh, got my degree in educational technology and fell into uh, this, this, this line of work and have loved it ever since. 
So maybe, you know, since you have this, this focus in leadership development, both, I guess, from two different perspectives, you talked on the Campbell Entrance side, you talk about it from your own business side and the, uh, which, which sound like a little bit different approaches and, and, and different passions, but they're all sort of around the same uh, type of thing. So, you know, what is your perspective then on leadership development? How, and how has that maybe changed for you while working uh, in, in both of these different uh, mediums? Yeah, I think it's been both a personal and, and professional journey. I think on the, the professional side, which which maybe is a little bit more linear, I went from corporate learning and development as an instructional designer, building content, then leading teams who built content to managing clients who consumed and delivered leadership development content to now working at Blanchard, where we get to craft, you know, entire learning journeys and experiences and coaching and and keynotes and everything in between. And that journey has been, you know, in some ways linear and bolster fits into that because it's a, another modality that people can touch to help build their skills. So it all, it, it really works. It works well together. But I think when you, you, you look at that um, from more of a personal perspective and what is the role of a, a leader, it goes back to having conversations with people and I think back of maybe when I when I first became a leader of teams at my my previous company to where I'm at now, I'm so much more aware of the words I use, the 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 that I'm the topic uh, at people's dinner time conversation of their leader, and that people don't leave companies; they leave their manager. And so when you think of what it means to be a leader, how aware you have to be of your own emotions and reactions and your people's emotions and reactions. And now we're seeing everyone's people's reactions and emotions via a screen, how much more important it is to build that connection and community and making sure people feel that their job matters to you, to your customer, whoever that is, to your, into the company and verbalizing that more often than you think might be necessary. You bring up a really good point about, you know, how how you might come up at the dinner table. And I think as leaders, it isn't our goal to necessarily want to be liked. I mean, being respected is probably the better to set a good example. You don't need to be everyone's friend uh, in, in that context. It's nice if you can be, but like that isn't necessarily the goal, right? Is just to have them only say nice things about you. But I think setting yourself up for, am I, you know, using the right words? Am I, you know, being the best leader I can be, am I, am I being fair, you know, and will that conversation at the dinner table reflect the best version of what I'm trying to be as a leader? Um, that's a good way to think about it. Cause I, I've gone back to leaders who maybe are struggling or have people leaving their teams and I, and, and then they seem baffled. Right. And I asked them, I'm like, do, are, do you expect people to come to you and say, geez, I don't like your leadership style. I don't, I don't right. like what you're doing. And they always say, yes. Like they think that people really would come to them and say, yeah, you're not a very good leader. No, they just leave, right? They, they just, just go find, it's they sleep. It's easier. Right. Yeah, right? Why, is ghost, why is ghosting a thing? Because it's easier just to say high notifications. And, and now in today's market, it's really easy to go leave and find something else. Right, right. And I, you, the ghosting is great, right? So I think maybe the few generations ago, we would give our notice 
uh, or whatever, but we're seeing uh, with the current, maybe two generations, most youngest generations are doing a bit more of the ghosting, which is not showing up, right? Or saying they're going to be there. And if that interaction is bad, you know, I think, what was that old saying? Is like in the first hour, you know, if you're going to make it a week and in the first day, you know, if you're going to make it in a, you know, a month or two, like at that company. And I think a lot of people are just going, wow, in the first hour, this sucked. I don't like it here. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to be gone. Right. I've got five other offers. I can go grab one of those and, and be done. Well, and I think now there's more options where maybe prior to COVID and the, the, ubiquitous nature of remote work, people might have felt, well, this is, you know, this is the commute or this is what I'm doing every day. And it was just the means to an end. And you were used to the commute. You were used to the the social aspect that work provided and the work itself where I think now because there is a choice, you can select based on things that maybe weren't available to you. Like what what is the corporate responsibility? What is the the DEI culture inside that organization? What are the, you know, how how does my personal purpose, values, and vision connect to that company's? And how can I go pursue that in a way that works for me where, you know, we're we're in our homes? So uh, I guess I would push back a little bit and say, I don't know if there's been more opportunity, maybe opportunity from 25 years ago, but like as soon as like mm. job boards became a thing, I think there always was a lot of opportunity. Right? People didn't have to go to the newspaper and circle a thing and then walk right. in and hand a resume. Right? So job boards sort of made this accessibility happen. But what I will say is that people, I think like yourself that are doing this education for employees and for leaders, we have opened the eyes to the average employee to say, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to settle. I don't have to, I should be able to be inspired at work. Right. And that's what I think has changed that, you know, if you would have told me coming out of college, I have a job for you and I, you can make a hundred thousand a year. I would have said, great. I wouldn't even ask you what it was doing. As long as it was, as long as it was legal, I would have done anything. I would have cleaned porta potties. I would have done anything for a high amount of money. And that is not the case I find with millennials and Gen Gen Z that there is a far more higher sort of sense of, well, what is the purpose and how how is this connected? And will I be happy doing this job? And it's a little bit less about the money. Uh, Do do you, do you see that as well? I think it's a, I think it's a balance of both where Mm -hmm. you have to make ends meet, but in a way where if, if all things being equal, is there a company? And I think that's why I think about, Blanchard on why individuals are drawn to our company and they stay. We have people who have been here for 40 years, 20 years, their entire corporate career has been here. And you, you ask them why it's because it's tied to a bigger purpose of an, right. of unleashing people for the greater good. And they're so connected to that purpose that they're, you know, they're maybe willing to trade off other mm-hmm. things. Maybe it's, you know, opportunities for career development or a title, um, because, you know, again, there's that, that need to fulfill your, your cup. And I, and I think about the role of a leader of how it's changed in the last 18 or so months. And what is your role as a leader? Is your role to help yourself get the next career? Is it going from manager to director to vice president or whatever? Or is it to help your people skip level you? And really even, you know, and how does that change the nature of the conversations you have when you think more about their career versus your career? 
and who are you in this for? And I think for me, that's been a huge shift on at least my personal leadership philosophy Mm -hmm. of it's less about me than about them. And that's the classic sort of what we call servant leadership, or there's lots of different versions of that, right? Where you show up every day and you try to figure out how to make your people be better and how to help them uh, clear obstacles and support them. And I know that was sort of a shift I made for myself back in 2009. I just went, I need to spend all my time with my people, working for my people and helping my people. And they will do the amazing things and they will make my P&L great. They will make my services great. And they will make my customers happy. Um, And I just need to help them. And I think that's a shift. Make them the hero. Make them the hero of your story. Absolutely. Right. Right. I mean, if I hold the machete, I better be out in front uh, clearing the way and (laughs) making it easy for them to walk the path, right? Instead of standing in the back yelling at them for not going faster. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great analogy. Violent a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> I use the term, like, I'll be your weed whacker, right? Let right. me, let me do that for you. So you can, so you can make the path. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, you sort of talked a little bit about Blanchard with what's, what's really the vision then for, for bolster leadership? Yeah. Bolster started uh, before my Blanchard career started. And it was a conversation I have with my, with a a former colleague, a former client of mine from my previous, from my previous job. And she had this vision, Lisa Woken, um, amazing uh, friends, colleague, has her PhD in appreciative inquiry uh, from the University of Minnesota. And her husband, Peter Woken is a board game designer. And so she had this clear vision of wouldn't it be amazing to help help people build capabilities with cards um, because it, card games are, are tactile there's there's research that shows when you touch something it makes a, a high impression versus if you consume something digitally because of my my background in corporate learning and the connections to leadership development and operations I said yeah that sounds great and it's one of those, it was one of those conversations of we should go into business one day. And I'm sure a lot of us have had those with good friends, like we should go into business and then nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. And then we said, let's do it. And so we did. And then we went from group games to COVID happening saying, well, people aren't really in groups doing work type experiences. And so we migrated to almost a whole matrix of individual Think of like the coach voice or the teacher voice or the facilitator voice across a variety of capabilities. And we have, over the course of the last year and a half, had the chance to bootstrap it, design it, build it. And right now, a whole bunch of our products are on some container ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, (laughs) hoping they show up into some port and hoping they show up into (laughs) some distribution at warehouse so you can uh, click to buy. Right, right. I think there's a lot of people who are in the big boat you are, <laughs> yeah. right? Hoping that something gets off the off, off the boat. That's so, right. It's yeah, been I a know. fascinating. It's been a fascinating experience for me because someone who for someone who's been on the services side for almost my whole career, you know, the your 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 product is your people, right? The services, the maybe the digital content, but really it's the consulting to go into the product based business where you design something and then print it and ship it has been awesome to learn about. So even as like a curious learner to learn a whole other business model has been just fascinating, say compared to the services side of, of, of the work that's pretty common in corporate, corporate leadership development. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I know you, you mentioned you're a mom. I think a mom of three. Uh, yeah. And you, you, you know, you're the vice president over at Blanchard. And, and of course, you have your startup, which we've been talking about. So I, I think for a lot of people, they might be interested to know, you know, how do you balance it all? Is, is it even balance? You know, or how, how do you make those those things happen? Because being a parent is is a lot of work. Uh, working for a big company is a lot of work. Having a startup is a lot of work and you're doing all of these things. So are, are there things that you've learned or that you do that maybe might be valuable to those that are listening that are trying to, yeah. to do some of the same things? Yeah, I'd say uh, I will never have it all figured out, but I do the best I can with what I have. And I, I think if I had to give any advice, it's saying no more because saying no means saying yes to something else. Just as saying yes means you're saying no to something else. And I, I think of the ability to, one, for me, uh, putting things on calendar. So for instance, all summer, I had a, a goal that I wanted to golf more. My, my husband works at a uh, golf course. And so we get to golf and how amazing that would be if only I found the time. And so the only way I found the time was I put it on my calendar every Wednesday at four o'clock. I left and it was that that time. And I think by having that weekly ritual, by saying I'm not going to work on weekends, one actually showed my team that they don't have to work on weekends either. And that was an expectation I had. And so I like, how can I be a good example to my team to not be overworked? Let's go on vacation and not check my phone. Let's take weekends off and block calendar off for personal pieces. And so it's, it's odd. I've actually have done the most personal focus on fitness and family and fun in the last 12 months than I ever have in my, my personal life, which has been pretty great. Um, but it also means at work, probably doing a little bit less. So I, I sometimes feel unsettled and restless where like, oh, we can go so much faster or we can do so much more. But it's that trade-off of by doing more at work means I'm not able to have dinner at home. Um, right. on a weeknight because I have calls. And so it's making that very conscious decision. Well, and what I'm really hearing too is when you have those intentional blocks of not working here and, and to do something, like you said, to go golf, right? Or to have time on the weekends or whatever it is, you're also giving your brain time to think and to make the connections and to figure things out, right? When I think a lot of people who like just work, 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 they're in that mode of like moving but they're never like stopping to think. And I, I hope that people will take that lesson away from hearing what you're talking about is you need those blocks of time for yourself, but yep. whether you like it or not, your brain is thinking about work or it's thinking about your team. It's thinking about, and you're working that stuff out a little bit, especially when you're walking, you're doing something like exercise. It's a fantastic time to make some of those connections and go, oh, you know, I bet you if I did this thing for that person, they could really get that project done faster or help that client yeah. out, whatever. I mean, it's a, right. Those, those things happen or work out things in your personal life that could be impacting your, your, your work life. So I, I think it's, it's a great, great uh, suggestion that you had there. Yeah, absolutely. It allows you to make, uh, you can triangulate between personal work and anything else a lot easier when you actually give your time and space for all three. Sleep is good too. Yes. Yes. We all need a good amount of sleep. Well, I, I remember in looking at your LinkedIn profile, you had a tagline that said, I help people have better days at work. Uh, when they do, they have better days at home, bringing their best selves to those who matter most. So 
what was sort of the impetus to sort of, you know, I guess put that out there in the universe. I think it's a really important uh, thing. Um, definitely something leaders should be thinking about, right? It's like, how does, how does that person, when they leave this job, whether that's physically from a building or remotely, you know, how do they then translate into their family and how does, do they bring work home and all of that? So maybe you could talk a little bit about why that was important for you to put out there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not binary. You know, when people say it's not personal, typically when referring to business, it is because it, it happens to you. It's a part of your day to day. And I think about the work that we do at Blanchard and the, the work uh, Lisa and I do at Bolster. We have this ability to give people gifts that they can bring right to, right to their home. I, I think of um, one of the models we use at Blanchard is called conversational capacity. And it's how you balance candor and curiosity to get into that sweet spot of the conversation. And you can scan the room and you know the person who has that tendency to minimize or that tendency to win. And what is your role to intervene and bring in those quiet voices or, you know, demonstrate curiosity and saying, hey, I, I haven't heard from you. And that that those dynamics are present at home as well. And so sure. I think about the the work that if you can help people have the tools to have better conversations, they're going to bring those conversations, those skills into their personal life and be better parents, be better spouses. And also remember that we just can't assume that you're, because you're going to focus so much on work, that your family is always going to be there. Um, it's not a, it's not a, a, a fail safe. So you have to make them number one and work will, work will happen. Work will be there. Um, right. And so it, it's personal to me. I, I'm so grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my husband who's supportive. He's on the other side of this wall right now making sure the three kids don't bust in. Although I think they're off to hockey right now. <laughs> I, I saw the door maybe open a moment ago. So I, maybe we got, there we got are lucky, some, there but... are some sneakers sometimes right, that crawl it on the floor. <laughs> well, Brittany, we are grateful to have you on the show today. Uh, last final question before we go is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about your work? Yeah, I'd say the easiest way is check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, Brittany A. Cole, I'm easy to find. There's not a ton of me and you can message me. You can, Learn more about Blanchard at KimBlanchard.com, bolster leadership, and send me a message. I'm, I'm always available to respond. Well, again, thank you so much for being a great guest today and sharing some of your fantastic insights. I'd love to have you come back at some point on the show and we could keep the conversation going. Sounds great. Thanks, Chris. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in our second guest, Simon uh, Mainwaring. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? 
Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Brittany Cole, you can catch the podcast. We'll have it out soon on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Spotify and Stitcher and all the places you get your podcasts. Don't forget, we are doing these uh, also live with the video on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, all of those. So don't forget to check us out there and follow us. Um, great. So uh, our next guest is uh, Simon Mannering, uh, founder and CEO of We First, a top 50 global keynote speaker, New York Times bestselling author and host of the podcast leadwithme.com. Uh, so Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to be here. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? What's important for us to know about you? I think I'm, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a father. You know, I'm an Australian, and I also have a company called We First, and we're a consultancy that builds purpose-driven brands. So a lot of those companies out there that are household names that you see them doing good and growing their business by doing so, we've been working with them to help define what to say, how to say it, how to bring that to life inside the company, and then how to communicate that to others. And, and where is home for you? Where do you, where do you locate out of? Well, I sound funny because I'm Australian originally, but I've been in the States for over 20 years. So uh, I'm in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Okay. Well, you're not too far from us. So great. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how, how can we shift the organizational mindset and internal culture uh, to one that aligns with profit and purpose and maybe placing the, the collective, I think you call the the we above the individual. How do we kind of make start to make that shift and think about that through our companies? Well, it's fundamental to do it for a couple of reasons. You want to be able to get the most out of your people, to win the talent wars, to make sure they stay longer now more so than ever. Plus, you want to inspire people to buy from your company because of the way you're showing up in the world. The way you do that is you have to turn your typical approach upside down. What do I mean? With most things inside a company, large or small, there's a top-down hierarchical approach. There's the boss at the top and you've got the hierarchy. Or in your org structure or supply chain, you might have a top-down approach in terms of how you organize things. You've got to instead define the purpose of your organization, why it exists, and instead of a top-down approach, turn it upside down and position that purpose as the bottom-up foundation on which your employees, your clients, your customers, your partners stand so that you can go out into the world and make a difference and that will inspire them to buy your products, to talk about you to others, and that will grow your business. Yeah, and then we were just talking a moment ago with Brittany about you know how leaders can put their people first, how sort of similar to maybe servant-based leadership, right? But how do we you know, go out there and clear the way for our people to be their best. And that sounds like it's sort of connected, right? If we think about this in the we standpoint, um, instead of how do I climb the ladder? How do I help this one person climb the ladder? How do I get more out of this? But how do we reach those goals? How do we achieve those things? Um, it, it To me, that sounds normal. That feels like what you're supposed to do. But I certainly have uh, consulted with enough companies to know that that is not always the case. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that starts at the top? Is that something that maybe the CEO or the founder sort of gets wrong in the beginning? Or is that just maybe like not addressed and sort of left untouched and just sort of organically becomes very individualistic if, if not driven the right way? You know, it can be either or. It, it doesn't, in most cases, have to start at the top. 
You've got to have a CEO who says, I've got to be more empathetic. I've really got to see the whole human beings and my employees, especially after COVID. And they've also got to embrace this idea that leadership is more collaborative now. It's not about telling people what to do, but rather to defining a purpose for a company that people want to be a part of and really creating opportunities where they can show up in the ways they want. Sometimes they may want to come up with a new idea. They may want to volunteer. They may want to do a blog post. They may want to make a donation. The other thing is when you do have somebody inside a company that wants to make a difference and, and serve the purpose of that company, as a leader, you've got to recognize that and celebrate that and allow them to build you know, consensus internally and then let that be infused throughout the entire organization. So I think the days are gone where you know there's the, the man or woman at the top that tells it's my way or the highway. Instead, it's like, how do we do this together? And I deeply believe the future of leadership is collaborative by nature. And I love that idea because we've been experimenting in the last two years and we think we've really shifted our entire um, approach around reviews and around feedback to our people. And so to, to totally deconstruct the individual nature of it, we've stopped having one-on-ones with managers and the employee because that's an individualistic approach, sure. right? Yep. And so instead, the team is getting together and the team is talking about how everyone's doing and giving feedback or feed forward to each person about what they need and what they could do better and what they did great and what, you know. And so it's like, a, it's a team thing, right? We're doing yeah. it as a group to de-emphasize the individual sort of approach to it. And that wasn't, I'll, I'll admit, that wasn't really the purpose of why we started doing that. We started doing it because it was so time consuming to do it as all these little one-on-ones all the time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. You know, what you're doing is you're reinforcing or prioritizing the connective tissue between people. You're prioritizing the whole rather than the parts. And I think that's not just important inside a company. I think it's a big shift we've all got to make in how we look at business now, because what's happening is the whole is breaking down. And I'm talking about the environment, the living systems in which we all depend. Society is facing a lot of struggles social inequities and so on. And so to your point, we've all got to start to look at how do we shore up the whole so the individual parts can thrive rather than treat everyone as just individuals or rather than like profit for, you know, for profit's sake at the cost of the whole system itself. And when you start to make that shift, it's so amazing, Chris, as you know, people show up differently. Their whole selves come to work. The team feels tighter because you can talk about what's working and what's not working. And suddenly people take personal ownership of the culture and character of a company. And then that obviously drives your productivity. So it's a big shift, but I think it's not, we're not learning something new. We're just remembering what we forgot. You know, we're all human beings. We're all innately good. We want to connect to each other. And fortunately business is now waking up to that again. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we have to kind of redefine some of this because you know, I feel like in my upbringing, my education was very an individual experience, right? Right. right. Um, I was on sports teams, but like it was still sort of individual at, at, in, in nature, right? It was, yeah, you wanted the team to do well, but it was often about how you did as an individual. Um, and, and so you kind of feel like you go through life being judged by you and your your specific thing and then you could show up to work one day and we say yeah but we all do this as a team <laughs> well isn't right? it interesting though when you think about that we all get judged on the way through on an individual basis but what's happening right now at a larger business level and societal level 
is we're all facing challenges that are bigger than all of us. We're all in this together. And in a way, Chris, we created this mess. Every one of us in different little ways that we showed up in our daily lives has led to a lot of the challenges we face that you see like plastics in the ocean or the climate crisis, but also in business too, in terms of you know social inequities and so on. And so we've got to solve it together. And so this whole idea that you're on your own, it's kind of like a symptom of that dog eat dog, you know, my success at the expense of your, you know, well-being. It's a function of all of that mentality. And fortunately, we're starting to move beyond that now. Yeah, it kind of feels like, and maybe you could talk about how, how do we kind of rewrite the story then for business so that you know it does encompass that central theme that humanity and nature and every everything's connected, right? How do we sort of look at that and rewrite that so that the the prosperity uh, model, I guess, sort of changes, right? To where we're all thriving or the everyone inside of this group. I, mean, I guess we all can't be billionaires. We all can't be, you know, this, it's not sustainable, right? But how do we be successful, quote unquote, inside of the groups that we're in? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because, you know, your point about billionaires too, it is not even feasible, let alone sustainable, that everyone can have that level of success. Right. especially when it comes to the cost of this growing number of majority of people out there. And that's a, that's a real concern. But instead, we've got to shift our mindset that how do we all make sure that the vast majority and a greater majority of people thrive? Like one of the things that keeps me awake at night is what are the consequences when the vast majority of people are doing you know, worse and worse while that you know, concentration of wealth gets you know, selected and focused into an even smaller number of hands? Basically, the system becomes more unstable. And I think this is a unique moment in time, Chris. When we look around in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, as I was growing up and young in business, we thought the world had infinite resources. The future would just go on the way it's always gone forever. And everyone had to get ahead and success was whatever you could make of it. Now we're at a unique moment in time, especially after COVID, where we're like, wait a second. Now the reality is clear. The planet has finite resources. Our future looks like it's really compromised in a number of different ways. So what do we need to do in business to help course correct that? And I think that's the reason we're seeing companies show up differently. You're seeing all these major corporations and small companies really lean into their purpose. You're seeing young employees, millennials and Gen Z saying, hey, we want to work for a company that's doing good. Investors now want to invest in companies that are part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So I think it's a long overdue wake up call. I think it's only happening because we're now in a crisis, but I think it's going to unlock this most incredible period of innovation. And just to answer your question, how do you do it? The first thing you've got to do is make a choice to lead, to be part of the solution. The second thing you've got to do is define your purpose as an organization. And I'll give you a few examples. We've done this for so many different brands like Tom's and Timberland, as well as a lot of startups. You look at firstly, what is your enemy? So why do you exist? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What is that thing, Chris, that just makes you so mad that you want to fix it? Secondly, what are you the only of? There's only one you with one team at one moment in time in your industry. And then thirdly, when you're at your best, what are you doing? When you're just high-fiving yourself or high-fiving your team and it's like, we crushed it. When you start to ask yourself questions like that, you start to expose, oh, this is what we really care about. And from that, you can define your purpose. So choose to lead, define your purpose, and then have a look in your organization and say, from our supply chain, to our employees, to our culture, to what we make and how we make it, to the impact work we're doing in the world, 
How can we make sure that we're not part of the problem? How can we make sure that we not only do less bad, but we do more good? And do you think part of that is we need to be able to articulate and figure out what is really important for the organization? Because, you know, I, I was blanking on the book. I was trying to remember it, but, sure. you know, there's actually this perception that we, that people are in the worst poverty and the worst, you know, ex, uh, sort of experiences than there's ever been. And that's actually not the truth. We actually no. have the least amount of poverty. We've actually uh, have a, sort of updated and, and significantly changed a really big proportion of the of the world. There's still people struggling. There's still poverty. There's still, you know, bad conditions. But by percentage, it has gotten significantly better. No, but, absolutely. Like access to clean water, access to education, yeah. childhood mortality, right. much better than ever. You're right. Absolutely. Right. And, and less wars now than historically in the past. Right. But we have plastic in the in the ocean, we have a climate crisis. We have we have lots of other new things we need to exactly. be addressing. Exactly right? right. There's always something. There's always There's a- something, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, it is a different moment in time. I think what was really unique about COVID was we rallied together in new ways because it was the first time in a long time we faced something larger than ourselves globally, all at once, in a period of a month or two. Everyone down tools, sent their employees home, companies re-engineered their supply chains to make PPE equipment or ventilators. It was extraordinary what happened. And I'm actually optimistic about the future because these challenges are enormous. We hear about them in the press every day, but we're also showing up in new ways because we have to. And so I think this focus on the purpose of your business and the need to be more collaborative is because we need to scale and accelerate our response to these challenges. Why? Because I've got kids. I don't want them to have a terrible future. We're already starting to feel some of the effects right now in our lives. So we want to actually fix it. And I think business is uniquely equipped and extraordinarily capable of taking these issues on if we all work together. If we're all competing with each other and only half are doing good and half are doing bad, I don't think we'll get there. I I think you're you're very right. And I know you've had some some great experience spearheading some of these really impactful brand revolutions uh, at companies like Timberland and Tom's and SAP. So how did those come about? Like, and what can we learn from what they've been able to do? You know, they come about for one of three reasons. The first might be, hey, we're a company and we've never really had to define our purpose. Can you help us? And that's what we do at WeFirst. Then secondly, they might say, wait a second, we've been doing all these different things, these different good things, but no one seems to know that we do them. So we've got to connect the dots. So it might be some supply chain work, some culture work with DNI. It might be some philanthropy work, but you've got to connect the dots. Or it comes about because you've got a leading brand like a Tom's or a Timberland or others who say, well, everyone's now saying the same thing. Everyone's talking about the good work they're doing. How do you refresh that brand and so on? Mm-hmm. And then what's that journey like? Typically, there's one of two things. You've got a CEO or a CMO who says this is important and they kind of mandate it on high. Or in some cases, you've got employees who come together and really look to leadership and say, listen, we know we do good, but we need to tell that story more effectively for us and also for our customers. And then what we do in that process is we do a discovery where you find out where the company's at, what's working, what's not. That includes stakeholder interviews, a competitive audit, and then we define how to position that company, like to give them a purpose statement, like for example, Airbnb. The purpose of Airbnb is to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere. Or Dove Soap. The purpose of Dove Soap Soap is to make beauty a source of confidence, not anxiety. 
the company and its products are a subset of that higher order purpose. And then once you've defined that, you've got to share it inside your company and make sure that everyone feels like it informs their daily role. It's not just on from on high, as I said. And then you've got to go out and communicate that to your customers and, and consumers in a way that is co-creative. So you see a lot of brands out there saying, hey, can we do a tree planting initiative? Or, you know, let's work together and make a donation towards mental health during COVID or, or whatever it might be. So all of that is to say that I now think of business in this way. It's a movement of movements. The movement of business is to restore and protect the natural and social systems on which business depends. But within business, every company does what's unique and authentic and specific to them. And as an aggregate of all of that, we'll stop doing more harm and making these issues worse and we'll start to do more good and rewrite our future. Yeah, and I guess as long as they are living by it and doing it, which I think some of the examples that I mentioned a moment ago have, um, there are certainly examples where people just play a little oh, yeah. lip service, right? Green Greenwashing, cause washing, woke washing, local washing, it just goes <laughs> on. And here's the great news about that. People's BS radar is so highly tuned now. And it's not just the media or consumers, as in the past, who'd call you out. It's the investors, because the investor class has woken up. They want to see your ESG, your environmental, social governance metrics. But it's also inside with your employees. I mean, look at employees in Google, Facebook, and Amazon who've called them out over gender bias, pay scales, you know, not responding to the climate crisis. So honestly, if you're a solopreneur or a founder or a CEO of a major corporation, you have nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. You've got to lean into your purpose and you've got to do it authentically or someone will call you out. Yeah. And you got to be prepared to be called out if you're not doing it right, if you're not doing anything at all, right? You need to have some sort of a plan and, and I guess uh, uh, an intention, as I think you, you mentioned well, earlier. Intention's a really good word because no one gets it all right all the time. No company does. And the way that when we work with companies that are on, you know, on their purpose journey, but they need to do more, is here's the thing you've got to do. You have to maintain control of the narrative. What do I mean? Instead of either saying nothing, and therefore people assume you don't care, or saying something, but then getting defensive about what you, you're not good at, where your supply chain might not be great, or you don't have true diversity inside your company. Instead of waiting for that to be exposed, get out in front of it and say, hey, this is what we're doing well. This is what needs to improve. This is what we're doing to address that. And if you look at a brand like Patagonia, which a lot of people think is, you know, one of the great purposeful companies, which is true, they do campaigns like the Footprint Chronicles, where they'll say, here's the SKU number of a jacket. Here's its carbon footprint. Here's what we think in terms of what we're doing well. Here's what we need to improve on and why. Like people are very forgiving when they see that you are honest and authentic in the way you're showing up. But you're right, purpose washing, it's even worse than doing nothing at all, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I want to make sure I ask you uh, our two favorite questions uh, before we go here. The first one is, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? I like a book called Gratitude. Um, it, it, It just explores really, you know, why somebody should approach each day, each moment, each relationship that way. And um, so Gratitude is a book that I, I think I, yep, I have it right behind me over there. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, you know, in all honesty, I'd say that 
We don't carve out enough time to read today, but I think if you're in business and you want to challenge yourself, you need a bookshelf like the one you have behind you right there. You yeah. need to make sure that you're feeding your mind all the time because everybody gets so swept up in the demands on their time and then we forget to feed ourselves and we need that for our own futures, for our business and so on. Well, I have been running a book club for years where we read one book a month and we get together to talk about it. And it's it was built just so I would read the book. I mean, I built the group just so I felt a responsibility to show up and, and facilitate. And so therefore, so I get a minimum of 12 books in a year by doing that. I actually get in more now. But back when I started it, I was always letting them stack up on my dresser. and I, I do that you know, too. Yeah. They stack up and you're like, stack. yeah, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to it. But now I do one, one a month at minimum. And I have this sort of, it's like a hack for me, right? That I know if I have this group of people who are going to show up, I better read the book. I feel pressure. And also, you can multitask. If you're training, if you're exercising, you can do those executive summaries that are out there. But I yeah. think it's absolutely critical for people to, you know, recognize that their success or how fully they realize what they want for themselves in their life is a function of, you know, what they invest in themselves in terms of how they do self-education. And the book Gratitude, did you did you uh, mention what the who the author was? Um, I've got it here. Give it to me. I'll give it one second. Um, <laughs> let me look, look it up here. I don't no. know why I'm blanking right now. I'm going to make go. sure people will be able to find it. But, uh, yeah, because uh, there might be a few books with similar titles. Oh, so really? I, I didn't realize that. Um, well, I mean, I'm assuming word gratitude is a what should be a popular. Oliver Sacks. I'm so sorry. I just blanked for a second. It's Oliver Sacks. It was actually his there Reflections after a life of being a thought leader and really having dealt in the mental health space, like he wrote that book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, you know, his reflections as his, you know, journey in life was coming to an end. And it really just led to the point that to really get the most out of life, the attitude with which you need to go to bed at night and wake up each day is one of gratitude. And not only for how you feel looking back, but also what you enable moving forward. So Oliver Sacks, Gratitude. And our last question is, how can people find out more about you? How can they get a hold of you if they want to work with you? What's the best way for them to learn more? Well, thank you for asking. I mean, if you want to find out more about my company, it's We First Branding. You know, if you're a young company or an established company that realizes you, you need to be a force for good, but there's also ways to drive growth by doing that, wefirstbranding.com. My email is simon at wefirstbranding, so very simple, um, .com. And then, you know, my big passion is I've got a new book coming out that is called Lead With We, and it really explores how any company of any size can really not only address these social environmental issues, but really apply a step-by-step -step methodology to you know, unlock their growth for themselves while solving for these issues. And I do think those companies that will lead the future will be the, those that have the greatest social impact. You've got to be on the right side of history. We've got to be solving for these issues that are coming back towards us from the future that are going to shape what companies get rewarded in business. And so Lead With We is the book. And if you'd like to know more about it, go to leadwithwe.com. It's now available, leadwithwe.com. And I just really appreciate people's interest and support. Fantastic. Well, Simon, thank you so much for being a great guest today. We got to just a fraction of what I think we probably could have talked about. So hopefully we can have you back next year and keep the conversation going. Would love to do that. And much respect to all your listeners. And, and thanks for including me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. 
Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 